you know what? We were fighting over who got to vacuum out the car. So, hey everyone, welcome back for another episode of Personal Finance from the Hilltop. I'm your host, Kyle Hill, and first of all, sorry for the delay in getting this episode out. I know it's been a while since our last episode, uh, but hopefully it's given you the opportunity to get caught up on all the other ones. Our plan around here, which means my plan, is to get these episodes out every other week. However, you can tell that did not happen, so I apologize. We had a few things come up, and then we had Thanksgiving, So, which I hope everyone had a happy Thanksgiving this year. I know this year was a little different for us, as I'm sure it was for a lot of you. We were unfortunately self-quarantining because our boys were exposed to someone who tested positive at daycare, so we didn't get to spend it with our family like we normally would have done. However, the good news is that everyone is okay. Our house was symptom-free. There were no new cases at daycare, and I got to watch Pocahontas several times for Thanksgiving with my two sons. And now they are running around the house and riding in the car singing Savages repeatedly as loud as they can. So it's it's joyful. Um, but no, thank God for headphones. <laughs> Anywho, on today's episode, we have another special guest with us, Ryan Gershner of Prime Insurance Agency. Uh, they are an independent insurance agency based in the Northland of Kansas City, Missouri. And Ryan is the president and owner of Prime Insurance Agency. And he's also a Dave Ramsey endorsed local provider, or ELP, if anybody's heard of those. Being an independent insurance agent, Ryan is able to offer his clients insurance coverage from several trusted insurance carriers, like na- names you've heard of, like Travelers, Progressive, Nationwide, MetLife, and Safeco, just to name a few. And I wanted to bring him on today because I think this is a topic everyone should know about. And it's one of the easiest ways to save money. And that's what I'm always trying to do is help people save money. And I know insurance isn't sexy, but you're glad you have it when you need it. And recently I experienced this when I was in an accident, but more on that later. And just before we dive into our interview with Ryan, I need to remind you this is for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as advice because I'm not your advisor. However, I could be if I did my proper due diligence and evaluated your personal situation. The best way to get that process started is to schedule a call with me, and you can do so by going to my website located in the show notes and clicking on schedule a call. I know this went a little long, so I'll put a marker in the show notes so you can skip the fluff, even though it's not recommended, um, but I'll allow you to do it. And with that, here's my interview with Ryan. Hey, Ryan. How are we doing today? Hey, how you doing, Kyle? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Glad to have you on. How, how are things going? I've been good. Busy. Glad 2020 is almost done. <laughs> I think that's uh, everybody's mantra right now is uh, let's just get 2020 gone. So, um, yeah, I think I don't think it's been a good year for most people. Yeah, yeah. So they say busy's never bad, though, right? Hey, it's better than the alternative. <laughs> so, well, cool. How was uh, 
How, how was your guys' Thanksgiving? You know, it was uh, not very eventful because uh, my wife came down with COVID, you know, about a week ahead of time. So we got a quarantine at home with my immediate family and didn't get to see anybody else. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, she doing okay? Yeah, she's better. She she had a rough week, felt really awful for about a week, and but then kind of back to normal now and back working again. Okay. Well, glad, glad uh, everyone's doing well, doing all right. So we were kind of in the same boat. We had, uh, my boys were exposed to someone who tested positive at, at their daycare. And so um, the whole week of Thanksgiving, they were home with us 24-7. So they were out of, out of daycare. They closed down the daycare. Fortunately, no new cases at the daycare. Everyone here is symptom-free, okay. But um, yeah, it kind of put a wrench in our Thanksgiving plans, Thanksgiving Day plans. So we all uh, hunkered in at home and... and uh, yeah, it's hard to stay home that long and not go out and do anything. Yeah, and it, it, that's the thing. It's It's getting cold. And so, you know, going outside, going to the... <laughs> you're supposed to quarantine so you're not supposed to go to the park right and so that's what mm -hmm. we normally do to get the kids out of the house and then on top of that it's getting cold so yeah but and then and then you have uh the thursday night game uh football game the nfl game get canceled so i'm actually watching that right now this is kind of amazing uh, uh wednesday afternoon nfl game so <laughs> I didn't realize it was on. I should have that on. Yeah, I, I got a lot riding on this. I'm uh, in my fantasy league, um, my church fantasy league, actually. I, uh, Deontay Johnson, I, I need him to not score more than 14 points. So uh, do you play fantasy at all? I do, yeah. I actually got Claypool. I, I need a big game out of him today. They can throw it to him all they want. I'm okay with that. Just yeah. Deontay Johnson, no. No, thank you. Yeah, you need, I need about 19 points and he can get me a win. So he needs a good day. <laughs> that, that's a dude that can do it. So uh, he's, he's a little boomer bust, but um, when he booms, he he booms. So Claypool, that is. Yeah, I need, I need a big day. Well, cool. Uh, yeah, and I guess uh, today it's my, my niece's birthday too. So happy fourth birthday, Jenna. Fourth birthday. Uh, fourth oh, birthday. wow. Getting fun. They're growing up, man. So we're doing a drive-by uh, birthday waving celebration or something. I don't know. Um, here this this evening. So, but uh, and uh, <laughs> my wife—they're both lefties, and my, oh. my wife has a thing about this being a lefty. So she—I uh, uh, guess this is this won't be a spoiler because this won't come out before then. But uh, my wife got her left-handed Uno cards. Oh wow! I didn't even know such a thing existed. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, it's a struggle. The struggle is real. So yeah. I think left-handers kind of have a cult going <laughs> yeah. or maybe it's more of a disability. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I think, I think she said, um, most of the presidents are left-handed. So is that, is that true? Wow. I don't know, but anywho, well, cool. Well, Hey, I'm glad to have you on. Um, to talk about insurance. So, um, I guess full disclosure, you're my insurance agent. So, um, but, uh, wanted to have you on to discuss, um, home and auto insurance. Um, and, uh, figured I'd 
go ahead and have you tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe how you got into the industry, first of all, and then uh, about your company, uh, Prime Insurance Agency. Um, and then uh, anything else you want to add? No, sounds good. So, so I could tell everybody that I'm a reformed banker. Um, out, of, out of college, I did commercial banking for about seven and a half years and uh, had a good college buddy whose family had an independent agency and he'd spent three years telling me that I would be just perfect for insurance, that I got to do it, that it's just a great career and, and was always like super positive about it. And it, you know, I finally kind of hit a transition point when I was 30 and, you know, looking for something different to do in life. And, and I just kind of liked it and, you know, and people don't realize it, but insurance is very fast paced, um, especially considered compared to banking and, and I felt like a lot more of it was dependent upon me and the efforts I made and, you know, how hard I worked. And, and so I kind of just went for it and said, yeah, let's, you know, let's make a go of it. And so I went and worked for his family's agency and just, you know, obviously excelled at it. And then um, <clears throat> used to live downtown and then, you know, we built a house up in the Northland and, and it just didn't make sense to drive across the Metro to Overland Park every day to sell insurance. And, and so, you know, I um, bought out my book of business and started my own agency up in the Liberty area and just been kind of going gangbusters ever since. How, how long ago was that that you, you left and started your own? So 2011. So I'm a little over nine years into it now. Okay. Awesome, man. You're over the five-year hump, right? So, oh yeah, <laughs> most small businesses fail within five years. Yeah, so. yeah. I guess I, I guess it's all downhill from here now, huh? <laughs> so awesome. So I found you because you're a Dave Ramsey endorsed local provider, or ELP as he calls them. Maybe tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I you know I'm definitely a uh, kind of personal finance junkie, and have always kind of been you know, was always kind of familiar with Dave, you know, and I don't remember how I first found out about the program, but you, but you have to apply and, and interview with his staff and they kind of, they kind of vet you. And, and so I'm one of three um, endorsed local providers on the Missouri side of Kansas city. Um, and, and, and there's nationwide, there's a nationwide network of um, insurance agents that are all endorsed by Dave. Um, it's, uh, but yeah, it's definitely, definitely a process to go through. And, you know, it's just a lot of really, really great, great people. And, and the other thing I was going to say is we're all independent agents. Um, Dave only endorses independent agents. So if, you know, if somebody, you know, has a state farm or American family or something like that, like they are not eligible for the program. And, and really from Dave's standpoint, you know, it really comes down to, he wants an agent that has, you know, a choice of products and, you know, a variety of rates and, and the bottom line is you get that by representing multiple insurance companies. Yeah. Competition is good. <laughs> it is. I, I love it, you know, and, you know, people always tell me, you know, they want to see apples to apples and it's like, well, I will tell you every one of my companies is slightly different because they have to compete on every deal. And so they don't want it to come down to just price. Like, so they all have their coverage bells and whistles that they do and somebody else doesn't do. And, because they, they want somebody to pick them for the coverage they're providing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so talk about that. You say independent agent. Um, 
and you're able to uh, provide different insurance carriers or providers um, to, to your clients, how does that compare to, you know, uh, State Farm, Farmers, um, Allstate, that sort of thing? So, I mean, so the biggest thing I would tell you is, is a lot with insurance, it really kind of comes down to, you know, how do you want to buy insurance? And a lot of people don't understand how the industry is organized. And some of these insurance companies play, you know, multiple sales channels. So let's take a company like Allstate, for example. Like you can buy, you know, insurance from a captive agent, like through an Allstate agency. Um, in some parts of the country, independent agents actually offer Allstate. Um, you know, my agency, for example, offers Encompass. That's, that's their dedicated independent agent brand. And then I'm sure most people have also heard of eSurance, which is their kind of direct consumer or direct online, you know, kind of like a Progressive or a Geico. So you have one, you know, big parent company, you know, Allstate, you know, and you can buy through a captive agent, an independent agent or direct online. And so they are trying to kind of meet consumers in all three ways. Or take a company like Progressive, for example, you know, you have direct online or phone, or you can go through an independent agent like myself. And a lot of times people just don't don't realize that, you know, some people want an agent to serve as their advocate, you know, have somebody they can have a relationship with and pick up the phone and call, you know, and some people, they just want to deal with it online or they want to deal with 1-800, you know, whoever, you know, and that's kind of the way they get their service. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally get that. And, um, so, so a captive agent, you're going to find it, you know, all state, state farm, farmers, that sort of thing. And I like to think of it as, I think, you know, going to Dave, he talks about it as one brand. They can only sell one brand of, of insurance products, their brand of insurance. Whereas an independent, independent agent like yourself, you're able to sell several different brands, right? Yeah, exactly. And so, and, and for us, it's like, you know, we don't obviously have everybody in the marketplace because it is kind of a mutual selection process between, you know, it's a contractual relationship that we would have, you know, with say a travelers or a MetLife or a progressive or nationwide, um, you know, they had, you know, we have to meet their standards and they also have to meet our standards as an agency, you know, and if, if ever it doesn't meet on both sides, on, on either side, you know, we can kind of, you know, end that relationship. And so, you know, we kind of are constantly looking at our mix of insurers and to make sure we have a competitive mix of carriers that, you know, we're happy with the claim service that they're providing our clients and, and just being, you know, just being a good representative, you know, of our agency. So I, <clears throat> I, I like it a lot. Like it's just, you know, I, I wholeheartedly believe in an independent model. Like it, I mean, it completely makes sense. And it's like, you know, you know, even if you really look at the, the flow of agents, you know, because, you know, I mean, if I really didn't like what I was doing, you know, I could, you know, I could go apply to try to be a farmer's agent or Allstate or whoever else and see if they would hire me on to do it. But if you look at the flow of agents, like it's typically from captive to independent, you rarely see somebody go the other way around. And it's like, because even on the other side of the business, you know, they realize, you know, it really is nice to have multiple companies or, wow, that carrier took a 25% rate hike last year, you know, like we've got another company we can move them to and, you know, save them some money and still give them the good coverage they need. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I look at, 
independent insurance agents, a lot like independent financial advisors. Um, whereas to use the, the term middleman in a good way, we're the middleman that's working in your best interest. And so, whereas if you go with, you know, say a captive agent, they work for that insurance company. So they're trying, there, I think there's a conflict of interest there, um, where they're there to serve you, but they also have, you know, someone above them that's looking at their bottom line and, and wanting to do also what's in their best interest. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, they've got to generate sales and business to, you know, pay the bills and, you know, keep their bosses happy. And so it's kind of, you know, they do what they need to do to try to, you know, to try to accomplish that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so there's that. Then if you go to, um, the model of, you know, direct, direct to consumer, is that what you're saying? Yeah. If I, if I go directly to progressive and, and per or Geico and purchase online, I don't have an, an advocate in my corner. So when I do get in an accident or, um, you know, they're, they're trying, it's kind of the same scenario as a captive agent. They're trying to mitigate any losses to their bottom line. And so, um, their, their best interest might always not be my best interest. Whereas. Yeah. You know, I, I always think in like in those situations, like whether people realize it or not, like they're acting as their own agent and it's like, you know, it's like how much does the average person really know about insurance? And, you know, I come across a lot of people that like legitimately think insurance is all exactly the same. And the only thing that's different is the price So you pay the price and it, insurance covers everything. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it's just totally not the way it works. And so when you find out that that's not the way it works is when you have a claim, you know, and, and, and that's, you know, just some of the things that we think people don't think about, you know, when they're going direct. I mean, like I would tell you, if I took the average person on the street that was buying their own insurance and then we, we said, okay, here, go take the insurance licensing test. Like, like I would tell you their chance of passing that test is extremely low. You know, it, yeah. I mean, it just, I mean, it just is like the test is hard. And I'm not, not only that, like, I think it gets, you know, harder over the years because they only want a certain percentage of people passing it. So they continue to make the test harder, you know, so it, so it, insurance is not as easy or as cut and dried as what, is what people think. It, there's a, definitely a complexity to it. Yeah. There's some fine print that uh, you've got to be able to read and understand. Yeah. So. There's, there's always fine print. That's for <laughs> sure. Uh, kind of, you were kind of hitting on that a little bit, um, but your licensing. So with, with insurance agents, you're, um, it's regulated at the state level. So you're registered with, you're licensed with the state. Maybe talk about that. Cause I think, uh, there's probably some people that would listen to this that, um, maybe aren't in Kansas or Missouri. And so, uh, talk about how that works. Yeah, so when you're exactly correct, insurance is licensed at the state level. Um, you, you get licensed in your resident state. You know, you have to pass an exam. You know, to get you know to get your license, and then once you have your license, you can pick up a license in you know any other state you know around the country that you want. But but for example, in a case like mine where I have a lot of carriers, like they don't all write in all 50 states. You know, okay. sometimes people don't people don't realize that. And then not only that, like they generally would want like a certain amount of volume. So, so at the end of the day, you know, I'm just licensed to Kansas and Missouri because that's where I write most of my business. You know, it's not that I wouldn't ever write it, couldn't write a policy in, 
Colorado or Florida or Arizona, it just, it wouldn't happen often enough. And so it just doesn't make sense to pay all the licensing fees to, you know, to pick up the additional licenses. So yeah, generally speaking, like you'll find most agencies are just licensed really where they're kind of actively writing business. You know, it's, it's pretty rare that, you know, unless somebody's doing like large commercial or something like that, most, most agencies really just kind of focus on kind of where they're at. Yeah. Yeah. That That's similar to, um, investment advisors, um, registered investment advisors. So I'm registered in the state of Missouri. So like there's in most states, there's like a five, five client threshold before you have to actually register in the state. Oh, okay. So yeah, that that's, yeah. so insurance, the threshold is one. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you're talking, so for typical registration in a state, it's, you know, anywhere from 250 bucks to a couple hundred bucks. And it's like, I'm not going to take on a client if I have, if I have to register for one client in that state. So fortunately we have a little grace in that. And, um, yeah, but then when you get big enough, you can register with the SEC. So not to that point yet. So <laughs> someday. So our topic for today, before we get into it, I don't know if you've uh, heard the podcast, but we do our famous 15 minutes of fluff. Um, started out as the lightning round. And uh, after you go through this, you'll understand why it's 15 minutes of fluff. Um, <laughs> so, but five questions for you. Um, and, uh, and I'll share my responses with you. Sound like a plan? Yeah, sounds great. All right. So first question, in the spirit of things, what does Ryan want for Christmas? Oh boy, that's a tough question. <laughs> I I would I'll tell you what, I well, actually I'll tell you what I really want. I'm I'm trying to do a big uh project in my backyard, you know, where we're gonna put in like a new deck and pergola and you know, fire pit and a bunch of stuff like that. Like I wanna get that done, like not that it needs to be done by Christmas, but like to kind of know who's doing it because, you know, all these contractors have been so busy the last six months. Like, like, you know, we, you know, had a kind of a professional person kind of draw us up a plan for our backyard. And six months later, I'm literally nowhere. Like, <laughs> like, I mean, I just, I literally have a pretty picture. That's kind of where I'm at. And I'm so frustrated with it. Okay. Yeah. I, I can imagine. Well, let me know when I'm supposed to come over. Okay. <laughs> I'll have you over. It it'll be nice. <laughs> Sounds good to me. You'll so. like it. Oh. Uh, so we uh my in-laws, they have uh oh, their street kind of U's and they're they're uh on the I don't know, the hump of the U. And so out their back window, you can see like all the backyard neighbors, all their backyards, and the neighbor that lives directly behind them, oh man, spent a couple months transforming their backyard, but they have this beautiful patio with a fire pit and the Arondack chairs. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, and a water feature. And we're, we're just staring out the window at it. And we're like, man, we need to make friends with them. <laughs> yeah. So, pe people really do some cool stuff around here in their backyards, especially with everything going on, you know? Oh, uh, so, uh, my, what I want for Christmas, I'm not a big, like I need something for Christmas, but, uh, Bowflex select 
tech dumbbells. Oh, very cool. You know what I'm talking about? I haven't seen them, no. So they're those dumbbells that you can turn the knob and it adjusts the weights. So it's just one set of dumbbells. Oh, wow. It's like multiple weights that you can adjust. So like magical weights, basically. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it takes up less space. So um, since I'm not working out at the Y anymore, uh, I need to be able to work out at home. And yeah, I don't know. So there you go. That's a good one. Anywho, <laughs> when when uh, COVID first hit, I went online to look at them because they're like three, four hundred bucks, and uh, they were like all sold out. <laughs> Everybody rushed to get their home workout kits. <laughs> I feel like that's the story of COVID sold out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that makes a little more sense to me than toilet paper. I, I never did understand <laughs> that one, but I don't yeah, know. I'm. Just- Try, I'm trying to locate a PlayStation 5 for my kids, so you come across those, let me know. Oh, nice. Are those – I we're not to that point yet. Um, I did uh, make the mistake of letting my five-year-old play my old PlayStation 3 for the first time, and now that's all he wants to do. And so it's kind of working out as a bargaining chip. Like yeah. If you make bad choices, we don't get to play PlayStation. Um and we're only playing like sports games. So what I want to play anyways, but, uh, yeah, but I've seen the PlayStation fives. Those are, those are going like hotcakes. Oh yeah. You can't find them. I, I kind of think your only chance of getting one now is holding up a UPS truck. Oh. I, mean, it's, it, I mean, I like you laugh. Like I, I'm, I'm telling you like Walmart has released these things at certain times. They'll be like, okay, we're re- releasing some at like, let's say eight o'clock. And so you literally get on clock, get online eight o'clock and you're hitting like refresh, 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 like the sites, like just so inundated, like it literally locks up, you know, and can't, you know, can't do anything. And then they're like sold out within a minute. I mean, it's, and then you're like, you've got to be kidding. And it's, you know, it came out, you know, three weeks ago and it's, and I've been kind of following it religiously and these things are just so, so hard to come by. I've got about, six or seven websites, you know, like your targets and best buys and looking to see if they even have any stock coming in, just trying to randomly catch it when they might have some and like no luck at all. It's crazy. Huh? I guess, uh, no black Friday deals on PlayStation fives, huh? Man, I (laughs) only want, well, so you you could go stand in line at GameStop. If you were there, they said each location was going to have two. So it's, and I was like, well, geez, that, yeah, my chance to get one of those is not good. And then I think in the middle of the day, they put a few online, but of course they sold out like with a snap of your fingers. What What are they saying is the supply issue? With COVID? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I feel like every time these companies release a new gaming system, they like they never have enough. And yeah. And I don't know. Like they, they it sounds like the PlayStation 5 has been even harder to get than the 4 was. Okay. So huh. interesting. Maybe, so, maybe next Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Well, give it a few months, you know, I don't know. Um, next question. How did you become a KU fan? <laughs> oh, wow. Putting out in me for the whole, your whole audience. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, so backstory here, you're, uh, is it Frankfurt? Yep. Yeah. So just north and a little east of Manhattan, right? Yeah, about 35 miles. Yeah. So I feel like most people up in that area 
or K-State fans, but maybe maybe it was a timing age thing because I, I was thinking about this when I was writing this up. I'm like, well, K-State just started to get good when I, you know, got into grade school. So mm-hmm. um, you're slightly older than I am, slightly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I, I don't think I know your age, so – but. Um, but, uh, so yeah, maybe, maybe that had something to do with it. Yeah. You know, believe it or not, my dad's a K-State grad. Um, he was just always, you know, real laid back and mellow and never pushed any of his teams on me or anything like that. And, you know, and for whatever reason, like my class, like the boys all liked KU, you know, and yeah, you know, it certainly start it certainly started with basketball. Um, but you know, we liked football too. And, you know, my dad took us down to the KUK State game in Manhattan a couple different times when I was young. And, you know, even then, like, you know, KU pulled a couple of them out. Um, you know, and then basketball, you know, I don't know. I think I decided when I was eight that KU was my team, you know, and then when I was nine, that was the year KU won the national championship. And, you know, I had followed them religiously that entire season. And, you know, KU obviously broke through and, you know, Danny and the Miracles and, you know, got it done. You know, the crazy thing is, is K-State was actually had a better team that year. And, you know, and Mitch Richmond. Yeah. Yeah. Mitch Richmond and some of those guys. And, you know, KU beat K-State in the regional finals, you know, because K-State had won two of the three matchups up to that point you know, and definitely was the stronger team that year. I mean, there was one point in that season, KU, they didn't think KU was going to make the tournament, you know, and, but KU kind of got hot at the right time and rode Danny to the championship. And it's kind of like, you know, you pick a team and then you go and win a championship, you know, that really just kind of cements it. Yeah. You know, and and even in the early nineties, you know, KU had some good football teams, you know, they had one team in the top 10 and, you know, four of the five years in the early 90s, KU actually had a winning record in football. You know, it's just K-State obviously took it to another level. And then, you know, they separated and then really elevated from what KU was doing. And then, you know, KU didn't get the coaching hire right. And, you know, we <laughs> really making finding a good coach look hard. <laughs> Man, Gino, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's like, man, I... You know, you, you you know you go and you finish in the top ten and win the Orange Bowl like hey you did that year. Like, I mean, yeah, I mean you could probably honestly say like that's probably easily could be a pinnacle for KU football, but I never expected it to get as bad as it's gotten since then. I mean, it's just, I mean, it, it's to the point now. It's like I don't know what could possibly go wrong to the KU football at this point that would like shock me because like whenever you think you're at an all time low, like they find a way to go even lower. <laughs> yeah. What, what are, what is uh, the read on less miles? I mean, are they going to give him some more time? I haven't really followed. Yeah. That. Yeah. They're, de- yeah. They're definitely going to give him time. Like, you know, they know he inherited a bad situation and less is basically he's recruiting all high school kids. Like KU's yeah. not taking a single Juco kid two years in a row. And so they're literally just trying to rebuild, you know, rebuild through the college or the high school ranks. But you know, KU doesn't have the quarterback position figured out. And, you know, we're really short on the offensive and defensive lines. And so, you know, you, you know, if you can't block or if you can't, you know, stop people from running all over you, you're just, football is a really, really tough game, you know, when that's kind of your outlook. And, 
And, you know, KU's got some good players in spots, but, but no depth. And so, you know, in a season like this where you've got COVID and players opting out and then you were already weak at some really important positions, it's just it's, – it's been as bad as anybody could have possibly imagined. It's a, it's a weird season. I'll tell you, but I, I was, so I was at the KU K state game when this would have been early nineties when K state beat KU and they tore down the goalpost. Oh, in Lawrence. Yeah. Me. Well, this was in Manhattan. Oh, in Manhattan. Yeah. Well, they did it in Lawrence um, once too. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, I want to say maybe 93. I don't know. I'd have to look, but I remember I was with my mom and um, I think my sister's boyfriend's mom and they let me follow the students through campus to Aggieville with the post. <laughs> so, yeah. And I'm like a eight, nine years old or something. I mean, I'd have to look at, but I'm just like thinking back. I'm like, what the hell was I doing? But what were they letting me do? <laughs> yeah. You, you know, that rivalry was so intense for so long and it's, you yeah. know, kind of gotten to the point now, you know, K-State's so dominant and, football and KU's been so dominant in basketball that, you know, I don't, I don't think the same, you know, level of hatred and rivalry is there, you know, versus, you know, just kind of going back and seeing, you know, and seeing some of the stories from the sixties and seventies and eighties, you know, that used to kind of see follow the two schools. You know, I think they just, I think it just used to be more even, even across the board, you know, and both schools have kind of separated. It, it, you know, I never want KU to beat K-State in anything. Um, so, disclaimer, I'm, I'm not a KU fan. I'm K-State. <laughs> uh, but I, you love for on both levels for it to be more competitive. It just makes it a little more fun. Um, oh, absolutely does. I've got some friends who are like, no, nah, no, nah, I just want to beat the crap out of them. I'm like, <laughs> whatever. So, did, uh, did you know one of Dave Ramsey's, uh, his son, one of his son-in-law's, Play quarterback KU. Yeah, Bill Whittemore. Yeah, yeah. Now he's yeah. like a high school coach over in yeah, Tennessee. there in the Nashville area. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I had a buddy uh, from KU that went to um, went you know went to the wedding, was in the wedding party. You know, got to go to oh, Dave wow. Ramsey's house and all that stuff. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know. I would tell you, you know, from you're a little bit older KU fans, you know, Bill, Bill Whittemore is still a fan favorite. Like <laughs> a lot of a lot of fond memories of, of that guy. And, you know, even now, you know, people kind of talk about finding that Bill Whittemore type guy to help rebuild the program. I mean, because he really was the guy that kind of jump-started things for Mangino. Yeah. So uh, Mangino used to be at K-State. His son was in my grade, Tommy. And uh, oh, okay. he, he played quarterback and I was the center for a lot, a long time. So we, we played uh pop Warner football together. Yeah. So, Tommy's a college coach somewhere. I think like Kentucky or something, isn't he? Or he was, he's bounced around. Cause he was at Iowa state when, uh, when his dad was there at Iowa state with, I think that was Paul Rhodes. Rhodes. Yeah. I think he, cause the stoops connection, I think Kentucky, they were at Youngstown state for a while, but I, I haven't looked recently, but yeah, he's, uh, he's somewhere bouncing around there. So, yeah. So, um, all right, n- enough talk about KU. So, um, <laughs> next, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Probably, I don't, I don't even know if it counts as a Christmas movie, but 
I don't know. Maybe Elf. Elf? Oh, yeah. Buddy the Elf. Yeah, that, we watch yeah. that every year. Yeah, I feel like that's yeah. kind of a fun one. Um, no, I, I think I think Elf's a great movie. We watch that all the time uh, during the Christmas season. So, yeah, I'm kind of a sucker yeah. for comedies. I, I, you know, I just I don't know. I always kind of like laughing and something funny. I can do that anytime. Yeah, I'm there with you. Uh, so, do you think uh, Die Hard is a Christmas movie? <laughs> you know, believe it or not, I have not seen Die Hard. I haven't either. I just, one of the uh, fantasy football podcasts I always listen to, Fantasy Focus with uh, Matthew Barry, he always talks about this every year during like Christmas how, or how Die Hard is a Christmas movie. It's his favorite Christmas movie. And um, he has like tweets from the producer to back it up and everything. And so I'm like, okay, interesting, whatever. But I guess the plot is like it would, the movie wouldn't have happened if it wasn't like around Christmas or Christmas day, whatever. So, well, evidently I'm going to have to watch that now. Me too. So, um, I, I, I thought you might say with, uh, your PlayStation five debacle that, uh, what's the Arnold Schwarzenegger jingle all the way where he's looking for, uh, the, uh, superhero doll for his son and it's got Simbad in it. Um, that sounds like your uh, PlayStation five <laughs> issue. Everybody's uh, yeah. Um, so my favorite Christmas movie, uh, I guess just cause we, I watched it recently with my son, maybe the Santa Claus with Tim oh, Allen or, or, or Christmas vacation. Yeah. Uh, it, it's so fun when your kids start taking an interest and, you know, kind of want to share in some of those things with you. Yeah. Well, it's so great when you can turn them on and fall back asleep and the kid will watch it. <laughs> Not saying that's happened. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, with the Christmas light scene from uh, Christmas Vacation, that probably makes an insurance agent cringe. <laughs> Yeah, that is that is for sure. We uh we watched Pocahontas for Thanksgiving and now my 5-year-old and 3-year-old are singing the song Savages all the time and I'm like, "Guys, please don't go to school singing that." <laughs> I know. Do you do you have Apple Music or anything? I don't I I don't do Apple Music. No. No. Well, I only ask, you know, cuz we you know, cuz we recently got it and you know, like any song that you pick, like you can literally, you know, click on it and then it'll show you the lyrics to the songs. And so it's like, you know, you think about like a lot of the, you know, the today's music that has all these explicit lyrics. And, you know, I mean, honestly, I, I mean, I do like some rap and hip hop and things like that. But to be honest, like I have no idea what any of these guys are saying. And then you start seeing that stuff come across a screen and you're like, Oh my gosh, like that's what they're saying. <laughs> and then yeah. and then you sit there and think about, man, I don't want my kids reading that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um so my wife found this uh uh in talking with some coworkers a couple weeks ago, but Christmas trap music. Have you heard of that? Christmas track music. Trap. Trap. Uh-uh, I have not. Yeah. I'll have to send it to you. Um, it's it's like Christmas songs with a little 
kind of rapish beat to it. It's pretty cool, and uh, uh, they're all clean. So I'll have to send it to you. But uh, yeah. check that out. I like it. So yeah, my uh, daughter is like super into Hamilton, and oh, uh, I noticed the other day like they had taken some of the Hamilton songs and set them to Christmas lyrics. Uh, okay. Okay. It was it was kind of catchy. If you get, if there's any Hamilton fans out there. Yeah, my uh, my my nephew, um, the one of my niece, her her older brother, he's a big Hamilton. What is he like eight? Um, he's big into Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, yeah, it's crazy when you see your kids get into it. Like my daughters are just obsessed. Yeah, yeah. So move along here in uh, kind of with our theme. How many accidents have you been in and what was the worst one? Oh man. You know, honestly, really just a couple and you know, neither one, neither one was my fault. You know, I've been rear-ended a couple times, so nothing, <laughs> n- you know, nothing, nothing too crazy. You know, probably the worst experience was, you know, it was like kind of a rainy day and I was at a stoplight you know, getting ready to make a right-hand turn on red and just got plowed by this girl one day that just like literally wasn't paying attention. Yeah. And then when I turned, when I turned the claim in the, the other, I mean, the gal had kind of taken the blame at the time was so apologetic and everything about it. And then when I turned the claim in the other insurance company just kind of strung me along. And then after like three weeks denied the claim, you know, and I'm like, Really? I'm like, what do you mean you denied the claim? Like, and they're like, they're like, yeah, you know, we finally got our client on the phone, and she said you backed into her at a stoplight. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, because people back up at stoplights all the time. Like, that's pretty normal. <laughs> yeah. So what? I guess what? What are they saying you should have done? Recorded the conversation? I mean, I, I hate people that you know pull out their phone and start recording, but it sounds like that's almost yeah. what we need to start doing these days yeah you really you really do um you know we we ended up kind of fighting with them and pushing and arguing and you know it probably took another week and then um we got them to do it so they eventually paid out it just it just took a lot of you know kind of going after them yeah persistence you know yeah yeah never give up Yeah, my, so, so, so yeah, I'd never been in an accident where I was driving until recently. And then I think I mentioned we were in, I was in two (laughs) in the matter of like less than two months. Um, And maybe we'll get, get into that a little more, but uh, that, that first one, um, end of September this year, I got rear-ended and uh, did about $4,000 worth of damage and got a new, uh, new hatchback to to the jeep so um anyways so that's really uh kind of prompted me on reaching out to you to get you on the podcast to talk about insurance and um more specifically auto and homeowners insurance and also also renters um but uh and so i i wanted to bring you on and um just kind of pick your brain because 
I think it's it's a topic you mentioned it earlier. We think it's all the same, um, but really understanding what we're getting and what we need to be getting, I think, is is a big thing. And so, with um, a lot of the clients that I bring on, the first thing I do with them is I look at what their insurance coverage is on their home and auto, and if they have if they rent, we look at renters. Um, and so, before we do that. Last question of our five teen minutes of fluff. What's what would your walk up song be? <laughs> oh man. I asked this question to everyone, so Yeah, that <clears throat> you know, that's a tough one. I you know, I I you know, I've always kind of had a like a you know, like a tailgating mix, you know, of music of just songs I like or you know, that kind of get me pumped up a little bit, you know, so I'm trying to think back off that list, but I kind of think, um, ladies and gentlemen by, I can't remember if it's saliva or what, yeah. what their name is, but it, it's, uh, it's definitely got a nice, nice beat to it. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't heard that in a while. No, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. So. I think, uh, man, I went to, um, uh, Gosh, you know, years years ago, before my young my son was born, I had a buddy that invited me to Harris to watch MMA, and and so we were like literally like right next to the ring, and you know the speakers they have in that place and the music that they would just thump in, and I I just somebody came out to that song, and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, but, yeah, that'll blow you away. I mean, I I don't know about the message in the song, but. I, Oh, yeah. sounds cool. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm there with you. That's like most songs I listen to. It's like, I don't even know what they're talking about. I just like the beat, um, which is why I like a lot of Taylor Swift songs. Uh, <laughs> guilty pleasure. Uh, so mine, um, mine kind of changes by the episode, by the day, by the week. Um, lately, I've been seeing uh, Top Gun on TV oh, a lot. Yeah. And that is like one of my all time favorite movies. And I, I like always have to turn it on because I, I just love, um, I love the, the fighter jets and, and everything and danger zone. Yeah. That always yeah. Is that Kenny Loggins or Kenny, Kenny Loggins danger. Yeah. Zone. That. Um, there's good a lot one. of, good, a lot of good songs in that, um, in that soundtrack. Yeah. So, I had that soundtrack as a kid. Yeah. So I, I grew up watching that movie. I mean, it was one of my favorite. My dad was a pilot, and maybe that had something to do with it. He was he didn't fly fighter jets, but yeah, I feel like I feel like that movie and Hoosiers are like two of them, like the first movies I kind of remember. Okay, being a kid. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Top Gun Maverick is supposed to be coming out. I think it was supposed to come out this last year, but with COVID, I think yeah. they made the release, but. I watched the the trailer for that and I'm just getting jacked. <laughs> like I'm excited for this. I know yeah. Tom looks like he's uh um you know, he's he's still got it. Um <laughs> not as young as he once was, but I'm I'm excited to see that. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch that one. Yeah, yeah. I so. don't see a lot of movies, but I, I will watch that. Yeah. I know they say sequels, you know, never compare to the original, which, you know, probably be the case, but still it, it looks pretty sweet. Yeah. So, I think maybe today's special effects and things like it may take it up a level. Yeah. Yeah. 
Hey, Tom Cruise defeated Russia. <laughs> I mean, I'm down with it. Yeah. Him, you, and, uh, him and Rocky. He yeah, and Rocky. I can, you can do it for like a Halloween costume. I've seen people do uh, yeah. Maverick and Goose. Yeah, yeah. So, well, cool. Well, that's, uh, as you can see, that's why it's not the lightning round anymore. It's our 15 minutes of fluff. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, getting back into um, why I wanted to bring you on today, kind of that, that fourth question about getting in an accident. And it's, you know, I like to think of myself as a good driver. Um, and you never expect to get into an accident, but and you never know when it's going to happen. And so, um, that's really kind of what prompted me to reach out to you and say, we need to do a podcast on this. Um, cause I think it's important people understand what they're getting when they buy insurance. Um, cause a lot of times I, like I told you, when I bring on a new client, the first thing we look at is their insurance, their auto and homeowners. And if they have renters, um, looking at renters insurance. Um, but the, that's usually the first place I can save them money. Um, or they have inadequate coverage and we need to increase their coverage and uh, still save them money or get them at a comp pretty similar to what they're paying currently for better coverage. Um, and so I, I kind of wanted to talk with you about that today since um, you're my go-to guy for this. You're the expert and uh, just kind of, you know, dissect it a little bit and help listeners maybe understand what things they should be looking for when they're going to get their auto insurance, when they're going to get their homeowner's insurance. Um, and so I, I guess the first question is kind of like, why do we even need insurance in the first place? And <clears throat> yeah, no, I, I mean, it's true. I mean, outside of it, you know, you know, being required either by law or in the case of you know, home insurance, you know, most mortgage companies are going to require you to have it. I mean, outside of that, I mean, at the end of the day, what you're doing is you're transferring risk. And so, you know, ideally, you know, you're taking a level of risk that you're comfortable with. And then hopefully the insurance company is taking the rest, you know, taking the rest from there. What a lot of times people don't realize is, is if you have like too low of limits, you're actually taking a great deal of risk. And so, you know, usually when we're, we're talking to people and when we get into a discussion about limits, you know, those are some of the things that we, that we talk to them about because what we find is most people don't understand their limits. And, you know, to be fully transparent, you know, before I got into insurance, I didn't understand my limits. Like, I mean, I remember, you know, my first day on the job, you know, they were, they were explaining, you know, coverage limits to me. And I found out I had state minimum liability limits. Like, like I was so freaked out when I found out how low my limits were that like I literally wouldn't drive anywhere until I got my limits increased. Like, like, I mean, it's just, you know, like when you don't know, you don't know. And, yeah. you know, it's crazy, you know, like Missouri just changed the state law on your state minimum limits to where, you know, it used to be, it used to be able to do as low as $10,000 of property damage. Well, now it's 25,000, which, okay. which is still just ridiculous. I mean, it's like, you know, 25,000 will pay for a few more new cars, but it's like, I mean, it's like I tell people, it's like, if you look at it nowadays, the average 
pickup truck today, the average new pickup truck is 50,000. And that's just a pickup truck. Not, you know, we're not talking a luxury car or a semi, you know, or some of the more expensive vehicles on the road, just a pickup truck, you know, $50,000. And it's like, if you're running around with state minimum limits to sit there and think if you were to total that, that one vehicle that you need to come up with $25,000, like most people are just like, well, well, I don't have $25,000. And it's like, well, you know, I mean, a lot of people don't. And I I would say the majority of people don't have $25,000 lying around, but they don't understand like, that's, you know, what happens in an accident. And so like, so theoretically, like, you know, let's just say you are short and you don't have $25,000 lying around. Well, they literally can get a judgment against your future income to where a certain percentage of every paycheck will go to satisfy, you know, that $25,000. So, so if you have a good job, but, and let's say you don't have a bunch of assets yet, like you still are very much, at, you know, very much at risk and having your finances at risk, you know, and, and I do from time to time, you know, have people coming in that tell me that they, you know, know, you know, of a young 20 something that, you know, had their wages garnished because they didn't have enough coverage on their insurance policy. You know, it's, it's not common that, you know, we, we don't know, we don't know what the future holds, you know, like I yeah. personally don't carry, you know, high limits because I think I'm going to use them. Like it's in case it happens. And, and when you have a good driving record, like you generally can get high limits really, really inexpensively, you know, for that, you know, just awful, you know, awful, unexpected experience that you never planned on have happening. You know, we sell a lot of umbrella policies in my agency and people are like, well, you know, is that, you know, is that going to be enough or how do I know how much is enough? And, and I'm like, I honestly, like, I don't know, you know, cause it always comes down to the circumstances of the accident, you know, who, you know, who's the other party involved because, you know, let's say, you know, you hit and injure a surgeon, you know, like, that's going to cost that's going to cost you more just due to what they do for a living. Like they make a lot of money, you know? And so that's one of the things that people don't realize with your liability. Like it's not just the hospital bills, which everybody knows medical is real expensive without really putting a lot of thought into, you know, what a hospital stay costs. But like, so when you sit there and you think about medical bills, you know, lost wages, you know, I mean, and, you know, if a, if a surgeon can't work for three months, like, you know, how much does he make in three months? A lot more than $25,000, I can tell you that much, you know, and then on top of that, you know, pain and suffering awards, you know, and, you know, and that can be at the whim of a, you know, of a courtroom or a jury or, you know, and so those can get six figures real, real quick. And so that's why that bodily injury, you know, is so, so important. Um, you know, if people you know, want just like a good middle of the road limit without, you know, without wanting like high, high limits or an umbrella. You know, I always tell people, you know, if you get a hundred thousand per person, 300,000 per accident, like that's a good starting point, you know, um, like within the industry, the insurance industry looks at somebody with hundred, 300 limits as being responsible. Um, and once you're at that level or better, um, you may not realize it, but you, insurance companies actually start, they discount, they give you a discount when you go to shop your insurance versus if you have low liability limits, um, you, you actually miss out on some discounts and you end up, you can end up paying a little bit more for having less coverage. So, so yeah, no, that, that's really good. I, I was 
curious kind of what um, your thoughts were on adequate liability coverage. So let's let's uh, go back there a little bit, though, and kind of discuss um, liability limits and and what that looks like and kind of the how that how you typically see that broken down. I think you might see um, an example of, say, my policy has a 100, 300, 100. I, I think exactly like that. And so maybe breaking down what what all that means. So you you have your bodily injury, eh, bodily injury, and then property damage um, that that's expressed as three different numbers. So if you want to dive into that a little bit, yeah. So exactly. So in that instance, like your hundred thousand per person, three hundred three hundred thousand per accident. So that's that's your bodily injury. So that's what covers your medical bills or, you know, for the injured party, Pays um, for so their medical, medical bills, lost wages, you know, pain and suffering. And those are kind of the three components that your insurance would, would pay out on. But the first number is really important because if you think about it, like most vehicles have just one person in it. So <clears throat> if somebody, you know, is in a really bad accident and gets rushed off to the hospital and it's only one person, like there's $100,000 is all there is to pay for everything, even though there's a 300,000 per accident limit, but that only comes into play when there's multiple people in the car. So I will tell you, you know, one of the things that my agency has been doing um, for, you know, for a lot of people, you know, is we've been increasing, I mean, let's just say they're kind of comfortable about that level of coverage, We'll do 300,000 per person, 300,000 per accident, just because we know the, the typical vehicle only has one person in it, you mm -hmm. know, and basically you have three times the amount of coverage with a $300,000 per person limit, you right. know, even though it's, I mean, it's essentially, it's pretty much the same coverage, pretty close, but it's not because most vehicles have one person in it. And the other reason that's really, really important, and, and this is probably the most overlooked part of insurance policies that I see coming in the door is the uninsured motorist coverage and your underinsured motorist coverage. Like mm -hmm. those limits should always match. So whatever you have okay. for liability coverage, your uninsured and underinsured should be the same limit. And that's the coverage that protects you and protects your family. And it's really, really important um, to make sure you have good coverage there. Yeah, that's, that's good to know. Cause, um, yeah, I'm looking at my declarations page right now, actually. So, <laughs> um, it's kind of yeah. touch on on the liability limits. So on on ours, we have half a million um, on each person, each accident, and then a hundred thousand on each accident. So five hundred thousand, five hundred thousand, one hundred thousand. So, um, and that yeah. was actually something that I wasn't even what you recommended. It's what, uh, I came away from with Dave Ramsey and that's, we've just kind of stuck with it. And, um, yeah. And that, and that is true. Dave, he does, he recommends half million dollar limits plus a million dollar umbrella. Yeah. So if, so if anybody's ever curious what Dave recommends, that's, you know, that's what he does. But, you know, a lot of times like when we're dealing with people, you know, we're not, this is not a dictatorship, you know, and sometimes we have to get to a level that, people are willing to go with, you know, I don't get a picket for them, you know, but I'm also there to, you know, educate and answer questions. And, and so, 
a lot of times when we're talking about a more average level of coverage, you know, that's just some of the things that we do to try to better protect people within their, you know, within their coverage limit. But yeah, I mean, for, you know, for households that have good incomes that have started to, you know, build up some savings and investments, I mean, it's absolutely a good idea to have half million dollar limits plus at least a million dollar umbrella. And, and, and the thing I tell people, you know, like when they're always asking like, well, how much is enough? You know, I mean, it's my, my philosophy is, is like, I want a big enough pot of money there that the insurance company can settle whatever happens. Because the thing I always tell people is that there's, you know, because anything can go to a courtroom, no matter how much insurance, insurance you have. But like, I feel but there's always risk on both sides. Like nothing is guaranteed when you get in a courtroom. And generally most most things, most attorneys would just assume settle a case. So yeah. if you have a big enough pot of money there, like I feel like it gives your insurance company, a, a, you know, a tool to get it settled, you know, to where you won't have to come out of pocket. But the problem is, is like, if you have, you know, if you have low limits, you know, let's say you have 100, 300 limits and, you know, you take out a guy on a motorcycle and he's got a million dollars of medical bills. Like you think they're going to accept a hundred thousand dollars. I don't think so, you know, so that, that's the problem of just doing something like 100, 300 limits, you know, I mean, nobody expects to change lanes, you know, and take out a guy in a motorcycle or slide on ice and snow and get in a two or three car accident. But, but we know it happens you yeah. know, every single year, you know, and so that's, and so that's why we buy, you know, buy insurance and hopefully buy better limits of coverage. Yeah, yeah. You you never go out intending to get <laughs> an accident, and so um, to your point, it's very inexpensive compared to what the cost could be if you didn't have ad adequate coverage. Yeah, I mean, just uh, to give people an idea, like if you have like a good you know driving record, you know, to go from like one hundred, three hundred to say like half million dollar limits, like you're probably talking like $7 a month, you know, so you skip a trip to McDonald's. I mean, you, you know, you've got it covered. Yeah. And, and I know we, we looked at uh, uh, shopping insurance for, for uh, uh, someone and you mentioned that uh, liability limits are almost kind of like a quasi credit score for insurance purposes. Um, and like how responsible insurance companies view you, view you as, um, when they're, they're, uh, looking to underwrite you and, and determine that premium. Is that? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. One of the, um, reports insurers poll is your prior insurance history. So they'll look at the, your longevity, you know, with your prior carrier and what's the least amount of coverage that you've had in the last six months. So, so it's not like you can just up your limits right before you switch, you know, to get the discount, you know, it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way, but, you know, and, and I've had people ask me, you know, like, I mean, why, you know, why do they even care? You know, and one of the things that people have to realize about the insurance industry is they accumulate tremendous amounts of data, yeah. you know, and, and they take all that data and they look at the claims and, and, you know, and analyze, you know, and analyze that and say, what can we, what can we learn from all this um, data that we have and how it means to, you know, what happens with claims, you know, what, what it likely means. And, 
And the thing I always tell people is, is statistically, like we know the worst drivers on the road don't have any insurance at all, you know, and that's, you know, anywhere between one in five or one in six drivers on the road currently. Okay. You know, well, then you've got another, you know, roughly two in five drivers that are running around with state minimum coverage. So now all of a sudden, when you sit there and you start looking at it, you know, you've got 50 or 60% of the drivers on the road that are not carrying enough coverage, should they seriously injure you in an accident, you know, and not that we know statistically, those two groups of drivers are the most likely ones to get into an accident, which is one of the reasons why insurance companies, you know, you lose, you know, you lose discounts. And to be, and one of the things like it, and things I always tell people is, if you can help it, never, ever, 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 ever have a lapse in coverage. Like even a day, like the thing, like even a one, you know, one day lapse, like you can, you know, 80% of the industry, you can become uninsurable to maybe 80% of the insurance companies out there, you know? And cause a lot of times, like, you know, we want to get people into the more preferred insurance companies that are going to give you better rates, higher limits for your money. And if you've had a break in coverage, like you're ineligible. Huh. That's interesting. So, so yeah, that's kind of one of those, that's just kind of one of those factors that, you know, people can control, you know, on their own, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I've had a, a a few clients where, um, you know, they, they went um, the direct to consumer route and it seems like, those companies are pushing out state minimum coverage when we've gone to shop them. And I guess it's like, why, why do they do that to those individuals? Uh, Obviously to, to keep, um, to keep premiums down, keep costs low, um, reduce the liability for the, the insurance companies. Um, Yeah. No, it's, to- it's totally true. I mean, I feel like that's part of the game, you know, nowadays. I mean, if you look at, you know, company like Geico, like Geico has eaten up a huge chunk of market share. And what a lot of people don't realize, probably a lot of your listeners don't realize is, is Geico specializes in like state minimum coverage. It's not that you can't get more coverage. It's just, I I, I mean, if I had to guess what percentage of their clients are running around with state minimum, it's probably 70, 80%. I mean, it's like, it's crazy. And so you sit there and you think about worst case scenario, you know, they severely injure somebody in, you know, an auto accident. It's like, you know, Geico's only out $25,000, you know, versus, you know, if the insurance company I have you insured with and you're in a really bad accident, you know, they may be out one and a half million, you know, same, you know, same accident. 25,000 versus one and a half million. And so in a lot of times like Geico, people don't realize it, but they insure a lot of high risk drivers or drivers that don't keep their insurance in force. And so they are paying relatively high premiums, Okay, you know, and then, you know, worst case scenario for Geico, you know, it's just like, it's not, it's not going to be that big of a claim. Yeah. 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 I, I get it. It's just with the statistics you pointed out, it's a little scary. Ever since I um, had my accidents, the second one was, I hate to call it an accident because it was kind of like one of those. <laughs> but I mean, literally, I had a semi truck roll back into me. Um, but ever since then, I've been driving around like PTSD, like, oh my God, am I going to get hit? Because you never, I never go out. 
I had a clean history of being accident free. And then, you know, in a two month, less than two month period, I have two incidents and I'm just like, good God, who's lurking around the corner ready to hit me. And, um, so yeah, it's with the statistics you were pointing out of uninsured motorists and underinsured motorists is kind of scary, but yeah, I mean, it's so true. Cause I, you know, I was the same way when I got rear ended, I'm telling you for a couple of weeks, I mean, every time you pull up to a stoplight, you know, you kind of seize up a little bit, like wondering if you're going to get plowed from behind again. Yeah. Looking in the rear view mirror, make sure the person behind you stopping. I mean, it's, yeah, I don't know, but, um, so now remind me what you said, uh, state minimum coverage is in, in Missouri. So it's 25,000 per person, 50,000 per accident with 25,000 of property damage. Okay. And is Kansas the same? is the same. Yep. Okay. Okay. But you recommend a good starting point is typically 100, 300, 100. Or- yeah. And if nothing else, it's just because it puts you with preferred tierings with the insurance companies yeah. if you ever need to shop again. So it's, you know, it, it just, it just makes sense. It's, it's going to save you money in the long run and better protect you. Doesn't mean you shouldn't have higher limits than that. But, you know, having those limits is going to cover like a high percentage of accidents. If you go directly from, you know, state minimum coverage to, you know, what I have half a million um, in bodily injury and then 100,000 in property damage, you're going to have much higher premiums, I think is probably what you're, you're pointing to. Whereas if you kind of take a baby step up to 100,000, 300,000, 100,000. That's a good, good step up without drastically increasing your premium. Let that sit for what, six months, a year, and then go shop it at a higher, higher level. And talking about auto insurance, is there anything else we should, uh, we should discuss? I know uh, you'd mentioned to me before this telematics is kind of a new thing that's uh, being adopted. Um, maybe talk a little bit more, more about what that is and what that does. Yeah. So telematics has really gone mainstream and, you know, I, I honestly can't think of a major carrier in the country right now that doesn't have some sort of telematics program. Um, the thing you're going to see is those programs. I mean, every single one of them is different. Um, some of them measure some of the same things, but, um, but they're all a little bit different and the discount structures are all set up differently. So I, I will tell you like my general rule, rule of thumb on them, at least at this point is, is if it's a consumer friendly program, like, like I definitely, like I wholeheartedly recommend them. Um, if it's not client friendly, then a lot of times I'm just kind of like, I'm like, we kind of hold off on it and we, we, we typically don't even offer it, you know, in those cases where I don't think it really benefits the client, but like, you know, some of these companies, I mean, it's like literally, you know, a guaranteed, guaranteed discount up front, you know, and then a lot of them, it's like, you know, the additional discount they will then apply to your renewal. And the thing I, you know, and everybody gets a little anxious about like, oh, I don't want to be tracked or big brother, you know, looking at me and, you know, all this stuff. But the reality is at least most of the people I deal with, like they're generally an above average driver. And I would tell you, um, like even the ones that might have the option of increasing your rates if you didn't do well, 
like I would just tell you like results based out of the people who are doing it, like generally speaking, like it's 80% plus are getting discounts. So it's like, okay. you know, you really have to be in that bottom 15, 20% driver, even in the ones that would raise your rates if you did poorly. So that's what I always kind of tell the person, like, you know, if, if you're not getting in a bunch of accidents and you know, generally you're a pretty good driver, like, it's probably going to be okay for you, you know? So at that point, I just kind of look at the overall program, you know, cause most of them, like they are short-term programs. I mean, they're like 90 days, six months, and then you're done. And so for as long as you have the carrier, you get the benefits, you know, those discounts, you know? And so I, so I think it's worthwhile, you know, to get, you know, to give them a little bit of data for 90, you know, to 180 days, you know, um, in order to get those discounts. And, you know, you might sit there and wonder like, well, what are they looking at? You know, some of the common things, you know, you'll see carriers look at. So they're looking at hard braking, you know, whether you're using an app or a plug-in um, that's getting data from your car, it's just all based on a certain deceleration rate in miles per hour. If it's too rapid, if it goes over and above that, like it'll flag it. But the thing you got to remember is, is they don't expect perfection. You know, they know there's going to be a certain number of those no matter what every single month right? You know, because you go up to a stoplight that flips a little too quick and, you know, you just, you have to stop. And I mean, it is what it is, but so hard braking, you know, rapid acceleration, um, late night driving, you know, a lot of times like that 12 to 4 a.m. time slot, you know, it's like, you know, your mom always says nothing good ever happens after midnight. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no. Apparently, <laughs> apparently the insurance industry has figured out some bad things happen at that time that some of them want to flag if flag it if you're driving late at night that often um some of them will look at you know how many miles are you driving you know assuming you know if you're driving a lot of miles you're at more risk from an accident than somebody that rarely drives yeah um there's a couple companies that'll look at speed um if you're well above the speed limit but most don't look at speed so i so for the people who are like speed all the time like you know, I, I get it. Like I'm always a little bit above the speed limit myself and, you know, I don't worry about that at all. Um, one of the new things we're seeing, I've seen a company or two that are looking at distracted driving. So if you have the app and you're picking up the phone, you know, when you're driving, like they can sense that, you know, one of the, like one of the, yeah. <laughs> Put it down. Yeah. So one of the carriers, like if you're at a stoplight, like it's okay for you to pick your phone up. But it's like, let's just say you're just starting to roll away from the stoplight and you put it down. Like, oh, yeah. Like that'll catch it. So it needs to be down before you start moving again. Okay. So, I, so I've found that kind of interesting. And, you know, I mean, one of the carriers, like, I mean, they, I mean, they'll give you kind of a like, hey, you've gone, you know, X number of days in a row without, you know, doing any distracted driving. Okay. So, so just kind of, um, kind of, uh, high level explanation of this. And so, um, for those that aren't familiar and for my own understanding here, so basically insurance companies will give you a discount. What, what, what is a typical, typical discount that they'll give you? Um, up front, I would tell you with most carriers, it's 10%. Um, I've seen some at five, but okay. I think most are, most are trying to make it worthwhile because they, they want participation. Yeah. And so they'll give you an upfront discount. If you will put this uh, tracking software on your smartphone, or there's also an option for a lot of these where it's a plug-in device. So you don't actually have to load an app on your phone, right? 
where it it yeah. tracks your driving. Yeah, there's just mo most vehicles have a little port kind of underneath their steering wheel area where you can, you know, plug a little dongle in. So you wouldn't have to have an app in those cases. Um, so that are concerned yeah. privacy. Yeah. yeah, so it's either a phone app or, you know, the dongle. And some companies do one or the other. But most are kind of gravitating towards getting the phone app just because yeah. it's easier, nothing you know, some people struggle to find the port. So versus it's pretty easy to go in the app store and, you know, find it. And most of the companies, some of the companies will literally send you text a link and you click it and it takes you right to where you need to go in the app store. And okay. they literally make it that easy. And that, and so then they're measuring the things that you mentioned, you know, how fast you're going, braking fast, that sort of thing. Um, miles that you're driving on a daily basis. Um, time of day that you're driving. Um, and they're, they're measuring all that to see basically how good of a driver you are. Um, and then they'll either give you a further after the period of whether it's 90 days or six months, they yeah. will give you maintain that discount or give you even further discount. Yeah. So, mo so most of them have like a, a max discount that you can get. I would say about the least that I've seen is 20%, but I've seen multiple that are 30, 40, 50%, you know, on the high side. Oh, wow. So, so yeah, so there, there's some definitely significant discounts there. And sometimes like, it depends on the carrier, obviously, but sometimes, you know, let's say you have a third car just because you like cars and you don't drive it that much. You know, I, a lot of times, like I tell people, like in those cases, like that's a perfect opportunity for a program like this. Cause you know, you're not driving very much. Like I, you know, I've had clients with, you know, the carriers that do that. And like, they're literally maxing out their discount on that vehicle, you know, whatever it is, 30, 40%. That's hilarious. So you're, you're telling us how to game the system. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, those are the kind of opportunities that are there, you know, and it's like, you know, we, we do, we get people that are rate sensitive and want to pay less on insurance. And I'm like, and I know they're good drivers and I've seen their claims history and, you know, and I'm like, no, you really ought to consider this program. I mean, you will pay less in insurance over time. You know, you'll, cause when I'm recommending it, it's the carriers that are generally 90 days to six months. I mean, you know, there's a couple of companies out there where it's, you know, constant, like they, want you to keep on it all the time because yeah. their philosophy is, is they think if it's just 90 days or six months, well, they think Kyle will be yeah. on his best behavior for 90 days or six months. And then he'll go back to driving like a maniac. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so if, so I, I, uh, we never did that. Um, so if you are with a carrier and you've never had that option, is that something that you can request or is it in it's or is it on new new customers can existing customers opt into that program I guess. yeah as long, as long as your carrier offers it um with most of them you can um you know go into it if nothing else it like at the re, as the renewal comes up i mean some of them have different rules on when you can go into it but some don't some you can go into it anytime you want you know, it's just a matter of having enough days in the program. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah, mo most, car most carriers are offering it on some level. Occasionally, you know, you might be in an old product or something where they don't have it, but okay, it's becoming relatively rare not to have the option to try it out. 
how how does a not at fault accident weigh on the telematics <laughs> and maybe we'll get into that in a second <laughs> You know, I mean, fun story. So like, I, you know, I actually have a company that does the telematics and they keep it in full time and they literally, they will call the customer up when they have a claim, like, which was one of the advantages of having this telematics. And they literally call this client up and said, Hey, your vehicle was involved in an accident. And they're like, like, no, it wasn't. And they're like, well, no, yeah, it was like, we know like right when and where it was at. And truth be told, like the car had been stolen. Somebody took off with it and wrecked it. And the people had no idea until the insurance company had called them up. Oh, wow. Because it had a telematics device in it. So, yeah, they, I, I guess to the point, they would be able to see that. And when you do the claim and realize that it's not at fault, then they would disregard that part of the information. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, part of it is, is that, I mean, even though they can see some stuff, it, it's not like they can really see what's going on. So it's like, you can't necessarily tell like who's at fault or not at fault, you know, right. in an accident. I guess, I guess I was kind of just being, uh, no, I know <laughs> my, my personal situation that we'll, we'll dive into here in just a second. Um, but no, that, that's good to know about the telematic programs. Um, I guess just to kind of close us out here, what would you say are the, you know, top three, five things that someone needs to know when they're shopping for auto insurance? Well, I mean, one of the big ones obviously is, is, you know, don't let them chop your coverage, you know, in order just to save money. You know, I mean, your liability coverage in particular is critical, you know, um, it's not too often you have to worry about hitting your policy limits, but if you're in that, you know, catastrophic type accident, like you need it to be there to protect you. And if you're running around with too low a liability limits, you, you know, it, insurance won't be there for you at the time you need it most. Yeah. So, so keep your limits up, uh, you know, you know, hundred, 300 limits, absolute bare minimum for liability. Definitely don't consider anything less than that. Um, you know, if you've got a good job or you've done a good job of, you know, building some investable assets, like definitely look higher limits, you know, the 250, 500 or $500,000 limits. <clears throat> so keep the limits up. Um, make sure they're not cutting your uninsured or underinsured motorist coverage. Um, that's something I'm seeing more and more often, you know, um, literally there's agents out there telling people, it's like, well, you know, you have health insurance, right? And it's like, and, and in most cases, people do have health insurance, but what they're not, you know, they're not taking under consideration is the fact that that limit, you know, it will also protect you when you've lost wages due to an accident. So you've lost this time at work. And then like, you know, let's say, you know, you've got, you know, back pain the rest of your life, you know, like, what is that, you know, what is that worth? <clears throat> so you know, health insurance doesn't cover things like that. So you, so you definitely need to keep that limit up because in so many cases, you know, we talked about how many drivers there are out there that either don't have insurance or they have low limits. You know, if they don't have anything where you can recover from them, you know, your insurance policy may be the only recovery you're going to get. So you definitely don't want to, definitely don't want to cut corners on it. And then finally, like I would say, 
something to really take a good hard look at is your deductibles. You know, every once in a while I run into somebody that like, you know, they really won't, they really like their zero deductible, you know, um, on comprehensive or a hundred dollar or $250. Like when you carry low deductibles, like you're paying that in premium. Yeah. So if you're a good driver and not turning in a lot of claims, um, you know, you're going to more than pay extra, you know, for, for carrying low deductibles. So if you've got a little bit of financial wherewithal, a little bit of savings where you can handle a 500 or a $1,000 deductible, like, you know, I would definitely recommend, you know, at least considering it because you can save the money along the way. Yeah. Yeah. At least, you know, $500 deductible. And then I always, uh, you know, tell people do a cost benefit analysis, a break even analysis of making that leap from the 500 to the thousand dollar. You know, what is the difference in that premium? You know, if it's 70, you know, well, I guess let's say it's 50 bucks a year. Um, to make up that difference, we're looking at five years, right? That you're going to, if you mm -hmm. had to pay the thousand dollar, I guess that's not right. That's 10 years. <laughs> but, uh, you know, are you, are you going to be accident free for 10 years to make up that difference in a 500 to a thousand dollar, um, deductible if you're only saving $50, um, a year on the premiums compared to if it's $500 a year, which, you know, yeah. No, it's it's totally true. I mean it I mean it literally sometimes the savings really isn't very much, you know, depending on what the thresholds are and other times it's more than worthwhile and you know, I, I you know, I've seen people at different times that like they get so caught up and like, "Oh, I want low deductibles." You know, I I've literally had people where it was like you would have to you would have had to have like a claim. Like you were saving more by taking the higher deductible than what the claim would have cost you. And they're like, no, I really want low deductibles. And I'm like, yeah, like that didn't even make financial sense because it, not only that, because the other thing you got to consider after a while, like if you turn in too many claims, like, I mean, your rates are really going to go up. Yeah. You know, you're going to pay for it. So you don't want to turn, you know, you don't want to turn in every little nickel and dimer, you know, from a claim standpoint. Yeah. You need some skin in the game and Dave always talks about it. Do what rich people do. You know, they increase their deductibles because they can afford to do that, lower their premiums. Um, you should kind of, you should have the same mindset. Obviously, um, looking at what your financial situation is, capabilities, but, you know, 500 bucks, we should be able to make that work. And, um, you know, to, to your point, you're going to save in premiums. So if that's the big deal, um, save the difference of, you know, a zero deductible zero deductible compared to 500 save the premiums of the difference between the two and yeah. their deductible right so yeah i mean every once in a while you know you've got insurers that offer a deductible program that burns down yeah. you know as you don't have claims and so so it's different you know when you're in that zero deductible over time by not turning in claims you yeah. know versus like now i just want a zero deductible and the company will let me pay for it so um yeah, to your point though about uninsured motorists, underinsured. I'm looking at my declarations, and that portion, that cost of that portion is super cheap. I mean, compared to the rest of, you know, what you're paying for liability 
that's that's the more expensive portion when I'm looking at my declarations. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, would you no, it that? definitely is. Um, something that's kind of interesting that um, some of your listeners may not realize is, is is on an umbrella policy. Some companies will let you buy uninsured motorist protection on your umbrella, so okay. you could pick up an extra million. But one of the things is an umbrella super cheap. Yeah, they definitely are. But the thing I will tell you on an umbrella, though, is depending on the carrier, sometimes the uninsured motorist coverage costs more on an umbrella than the other liability does. Okay. So, like, so let's say, for example, like you're paying $200 a year for, you know, a million dollar umbrella, you know, that uninsured motorist, I mean, I've seen, you know, I've, I've certainly seen it cost 200 bucks, but I've also seen it cost three or 400 bucks, you know, it really just kind of depends on the carrier, but like, but when you see the premiums higher like that, you know, that tells you what the carrier's, you know, claims experience has been that they're seeing some major uninsured motorist claims. And so that's why, yeah. and that's why they end up charging more for it. You know, that there's actually more risk to somebody else, you know, you know, where you, you know, you need them to have an umbrella than you have one. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, I mean, it kind of points back to the statistics, statistics that you were pointing out of uninsured motorists and underinsured motorists. There's a bunch of them running around out there. So, um, well, that's all, that's all good. Uh, I appreciate you sharing those, um, things that, uh, should be top of mind. So I mentioned, I've mentioned before I was in an accident, uh, <laughs> and, uh, like I said, I've had, uh, I don't know, maybe you could vouch for me, a clean driving record. I'd never been in an accident where um, I was driving until recently. And uh, I was rear-ended at a stoplight on a southwest traffic, southwest traffic way on the way home to bring the kids, get the, uh, bring the kids home from daycare. Um, they go to daycare in Westport, a bar district. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it, I wasn't expecting, I, was, I wasn't expecting to get in an accident. And uh, so, I mean, you never know when it's going to happen. But then when it does, um, I feel like you're, you're always told what you need to do. But in the instance that it happens, that all kind of goes out the window. And so, I guess kind of reliving my experience, and I guess I'm kind of suffering from PTSD right now because I'm driving around thinking everybody's going to hit me. Um, but so, I got hit. And, you know, fortunately, uh, even though my kids were in the back seat, it was, uh, we were okay. The airbags didn't go off. Um, but, uh, I, you know, the first thing I did, I kind of sat there for a moment thinking what the hell just happened. <laughs> like I wasn't expecting that. Um, I, I did, uh, you know, when I got to the stoplight, I stopped and then, uh, next thing I know I'm, I'm, I'm going forward. Uh, but I, you know, checked on my kids and then, uh, you know, no sooner than I got out, um, there were tow trucks on the scene. <laughs> so they were, uh, they swarmed to the scene and, uh, you know, everyone was okay. I got rear-ended. Um, the person that rear-ended me, I felt horrible. Um, you know, it just moved to the area, was in a car that was new to them, um, still had the 30 day tags on it. And, um, so I, I, I felt horrible for them. 
but uh, they were at fault. They, um, you know, kind of to your point, bent down to get their phone. It had fallen down. And uh, so um, it, it, that person admitted fault um, in front of me. I didn't get that on camera, on, on video or anything like that. Um, but uh, I think we're trying to figure out what to do. And my biggest concern was my kids hopping out of their car seats and playing <laughs> traffic on Southwest traffic way. Fortunately that didn't happen. Um, but, uh, I grabbed my insurance card that I kept in my glove box and on the back of it, you know, read everything that we're supposed to do, uh, took pictures of her car, exchanged information. Um, but we had tow truck drivers there that were very, um, trying to get us to, um, get our cars towed. <laughs> they were, they were very eager to do business with us. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they called in one of the tow truck drivers called in to, uh, the non-emergency line, um, for the police station. And they said, because it was rush hour, um, no one was injured to just exchange information and walk it in. And so, um, we ended up, I was able to pull my car around the corner to get it out of the high traffic area. And, um, the, the person's car, uh, they put on the tow truck and brought it around the corner. We exchanged information, um, called our insurance companies. And, uh, I put in a claim with my company, with my insurance company originally, um, I had the tow truck driver tell me that he saw my rear wheel wobbling and that I should get towed. And so he towed me to uh, an impound up here in the Northland. And then uh, I worked with my insurance company and you. Um, and uh, we were able to, we got it looked at. They, uh, uh, trying to remember everything that happened. Um, <laughs> so they sent out an appraiser. Uh, what's the term I'm looking for? Adjuster. An adjuster mm -hmm. to look at the car to see if it was salvageable. Um, I was told that it would be totaled. Um, it wasn't, there was about $4,000 worth of damage. Um, my car was not, not, uh, um, totaled, but the, the woman, uh, I'm sorry, the person who hit me, um, totaled their car. And so, uh, oh, wow. I got a check to buy a new car and, uh, my car got fixed at Gerber, Gerber collision over off of Vivian off Vivian road. They did a great job there. Uh, Devin, uh, guy estimator over there took really good care of me. So if anybody needs, um, collision repairs, that's a great place to go. Good, good, uh, good people over there. So I got a little, I, I think I told you, I got a little anxious cause after I got towed. So we were on our way home. My son had a baseball game that we were trying to get to. And I was one of the coaches and, uh, the head coach wasn't going to be there. And so I was supposed to help kind of be head coach, yeah. co-head coach. And I was like, I gotta be here. And cause I didn't have the other coaches numbers in it. Um, but, uh, so I was kind of like, how do we get there on time? And, uh, this, uh, tow truck company, um, I Googled them and, uh, the place where they took the, the car, my Jeep, um, had some very, uh, unfavorable things to read online. And so I was kind of freaking out about what happened. What am I, doing. Um, fortunately we got it over to Gerber. They fixed it. They took great care of me and, uh, 
Um, and so I, I appreciate that. And I also got a, uh, rental car, not just a car. I got a minivan <laughs> and I loved it. I loved it. There we go. We got a future minivan driver. Uh, so I, my boys loved it. We called it the daddy bus. <laughs> um, I loved it. My wife hated it. She's like, I'm never driving a minivan. Um, I said, honey, which is funny. Because my wife said the same thing. Guess what she drives? <laughs> a minivan. And she loves it. She wants another one. <laughs> yeah. I, she wants more room. This has more room than anything else out there. So, but hey, uh, yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is like, you know, you drive a minivan and all of a sudden, you know, when you're driving through a parking lot trying to decide where to park, now you always try to park next to another minivan. Yeah. Because you know you're not going to get door dinged. Yep. So, and that's my sons were infatuated with the buttons to open the doors. They thought that was so cool. I'm like, Oh my God, you're going to cut your fingers off. So speaking from someone who had his sister break his pinky when they were kids in a sliding door of a, uh, a van, a full size van when they were kids. Oh man. You know what? We were fighting over who got to vacuum out the car. <laughs> so it was, uh, do you remember, uh, in Manhattan West loop? Yeah those car washes there in the back of West loop. Yeah. Oh man. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, so what, I guess, what would you say I did right? What could I have done differently in that situation? Um, well, so obviously for sure what you did right was making sure everybody was okay, you know, cause that's always first and foremost in any accident because, you know, if somebody needs medical attention, like that needs to be the first thing you think about, you know, once, you know, that's not a concern, you know, really at that point, you know, kind of what I tell people to do is try to kind of document what happened as best you can, like taking pictures, because, you know, what I'm seeing happen, you know, so often is, is, you know, people are in an accident and, you know, they barely get any information. And the next thing you know, everybody's away from the accident and they're trying to turn the claim in and they're trying to explain this is what happened. And then all of a sudden you got another party involved and they're saying something completely different happened. And it's he said, she said, and, and all of a sudden it makes things really difficult for the insurance companies because they got to play detective and try to figure out what happens. And, and if they can't figure out what happens, you know, a lot of times at that point, you know, each party will end up claiming it against their own insurance. So, so if you can take pictures of, you know, where the vehicles are at, you know, license plates, that sort of thing. Cause, cause I've seen that happen before where all of a sudden it's like, you know, let's say they give you an insurance card, but what if it's not a real insurance card or, or there's really not a policy in force? Well, what do you do then? You know, cause it's like, how do you track these people down? So, so a lot of times like anything you can get at the scene, you, you know, like that, that'll, that could potentially help you after the fact you know, that's going to, that's going to be to your benefit. Yeah. What um, stolen car, like your telematics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it, I need that license plate. <laughs> but, you know, stuff like that happens, right? You know, my wife and kids years ago, you know, got, you know, hit, you know, rear ended in rush hour traffic and, you know, sure enough, the people that hit them didn't have insurance. So there was no insurance on the vehicle and the driver wasn't their vehicle. They didn't have insurance either, either, either of which would have paid for the damage in our vehicle. And, 
you know, it just kind of ended up being one of those things. Like we ended up having to run that through our own insurance because there was nothing to go after. And, you know, they didn't have good jobs or any assets to go after. So you just kind of let it go. Unfortunately, you know, that's why you have your own insurance, but. And so, so do you, you get dinged on that though, right? Or, well, it's an, it's a not at fault accident. Okay. Okay. Right. So, I mean, so on something like that, like, I mean, so I will tell you anytime there's a claim, an insurance company can rate for it, you know, because they, they all kind of decide on how they evaluate risks and rate for it. They may not rate for it, but they might rate for it. And even if they don't rate for it today, that doesn't mean they won't down the road. So that's why I always tell people to be a little bit judicious before you turn in a claim, because even if it's a zero pay, you know, they, you can't just make it disappear once it's once it's turned in because insurance companies kind of share that data. I mean, it may not be a rating factor, but it could, you yeah. know. And so that's why I'm, you know, we we don't always have to race to turn in a turn in a claim the first five seconds because when when you really think about what happens in a claim, I mean, most often like you're talking into a call center and all they're doing is taking down the data. You know, where were you? What times it at? What were you driving? who was in the car, was anybody hurt? I mean, they're just taking down the base, you know, the basics, you know, and they're going to assign it to an adjuster, you know, and that adjuster is going to give you a call in the next day. So, so that's why I'm, it's always okay if you're unsure, you know, and especially, you know, if it's during, you know, office hours, you know, like it doesn't hurt to call up your, call up your insurance agent and say, you know, here's what happened. What do you think I should do? Yeah. You know, um, but I would tell you in general, um, if the other party was clearly at fault, like I would try to run it through their insurance. Um, you know, a lot of times, I would say a lot of times, but some of the time, because you're not a client of that other company, sometimes they're not as easy to deal with. And, and if they get too difficult to deal with, you know, you can, you can always turn it into your own insurance company. You know, the thing you got to remember is, is if your insurance company pays out the claim, then you're out the deductible until they recover. And it, and it doesn't mean you won't get that money back. It just, you know, it might be three, four months, yeah. you know? And, 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 and sometimes the other insurance company, like they don't want to take fault, you know, they, you know, they want to say, no, your guy was, you know, partially at fault and we're not going to pay you all that. And, and so it, it just, it just drags out. So. And I guess, so this person admitted fault you know, right at the scene of the accident. But um, if I recall correctly, there, the driver, the tow truck driver said he saw it happen or he's like, yeah, you clearly. So I guess there's a witness there, but you know, I didn't take down his name or information, but I mean, she could have, she could, the person could have said, you know, after the fact that, no, no, I wasn't at fault. And then it becomes a, he said, she said, right. And I didn't, I was taking the person at their word that at the, at the time of the accident that they were claiming fault, but then they recant on that. Um, Oh, exactly. You know, in that exact situation happened to me 15 years ago, you know, where I got rear-ended a stoplight and the gal was super apologetic and like, Oh, I'm at fault. Just turn into my insurance. And, you know, I turned it in and then three weeks later, my claim gets denied because, you know, all of a sudden they change their story and say, Hey, I backed into them at a stoplight. You know, and you're like, well, no, that's ridiculous. You know, and and don't be wrong, like the insurance company eventually paid, but we had to fight with them and argue with yeah. them and keep escalating the claim. So it, 
so it probably, you know, it took me probably a full month to eventually get my claim paid out. But, but that's kind of what happened. And it, you know, the crazy thing was, is it was nobody was hurt. So tra- traffic assist had come and, you know, I ended up getting in a conversation with that guy and I knew he was going to Arizona, you know, for the winter. Like I ended up calling up the police station, trying to track this guy down because I knew he knew I wasn't at fault. So it just kind of goes to show you, I could remember the guy's name, but you know, sure enough, they actually did remember the guy and they gave me his number and I, I called him. But fortunately by then the other companies had decided they were paid, but sometimes like those are the lengths that you have to go to, you know, to try to justify your position because I didn't have anything to document what I, you know, what I said, Yeah, you know? So is, is the solution nowadays? I mean, I hate it when people are like all up on their phone recording you, but I mean, shoot, is that, is that what we need to do nowadays is when you're in an accident, turn your phone video camera on. And I, I mean, I hate to say that, that it's, is that. Yeah. I, I've had, I've had clients, you know, do that thing. I, I don't, I don't know about the legalities of everything involved, but you know, I think if you definitely want to, you know, take pictures and video or whatever of at least where the vehicles are at, you know, and so you've got some documentation of positioning and things like that. I, I think those sorts of things can help you. Um, That's the one thing I forgot was to take pictures of my own car. I took pictures of their car. Um, I forgot to take pictures of my car, but uh, I guess, I guess I would say if, you know, maybe the video recording is not a bad idea. Just don't be a jerk about it. You know, at the end of the day, if everybody's okay, that's what's important. And you think about the people that hop out that are irate, like, just don't be like that, you know? Yeah. I mean, one thing I will, I mean, will tell you, like with your own insurance company, like you're not supposed to admit fault. Yeah. So if somebody does put you on camera, I wouldn't admit fault. Just be like, you know, we'll let the insurance company handle it. Yeah. You know, because, because the reality is, is like, you know, maybe you're at fault or maybe you're only partially at fault. They're partially at fault. So you True. can't really jeopardize the insur- insurance company's ability to defend you. So, so even if you really are at fault, don't take blame for it because, you know, there may be some other blame to go around and, gotcha. you know, you want the insurance company to do what it does best. And, and, and that's reality, right? Claims departments, that's all they do is they deal with claims in these situations and they kind of know how things play out. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. I think the big thing is just make sure you have your insurance card and on the back of that, that should have instructions on the things that you should get, um, you know, get their insurance information take a picture of their tags. Um, I got a picture of the other person's ID, got phone numbers. Um, just, Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Just assume like when you leave the scene and it's like, like, you know, you you may forget something and it's like, you know, if you don't know who the other party is or who their insurance is, like all of a sudden it makes it a lot more difficult after the fact to kind of put everything together. So so try to try to take a little bit of time to gather some documentation while you're there. Yeah. Just just assuming, you know, that, okay, maybe they give you a fake name or a fake ID or you know, the insurance is no good. Like, I mean, we see this stuff all the time. Yeah. No, it's, but I, I was grateful to have you in my corner because like I said, you know, I, I help clients get insurance and everything, but 
actually experiencing it myself. I, you know, hadn't been in an accident where I was driving. And so going through that experience, I'm, I'm one of those that I learned from doing, and that's not something I want to learn from. No. So it, having somebody that's in my corner, I was grateful to have you to reach out to, to make sure that, you know, I wasn't getting screwed. You know, you, you were there to guide me and, um, help me get made whole. So, yeah, well, exactly. Brand new rear end on my car. So that's what we're there for. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. And then I guess the second part to that is just a little over a month afterwards, I was on my way to get the kids again at daycare and I was in standstill traffic on I-35 going south interstate. Um, and I had a semi truck roll back into me. And, uh, it's just crazy. Yeah, no, I was just sitting there in the, you know, my foot was on, on the uh, brake and this semi truck just started getting closer. And I looked down to make sure my foot was on the brake. And he just kept coming closer and uh, started laying on my horn and nothing and rolled back into me. And fortunately, he didn't roll over me. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, but then uh, I could never get him to stop. He kept, he took off and uh, I snapped a picture of his license plate. My car was still drivable. I caught up to him on the south end of the bridge, snapped a picture of uh, the side of his truck with the company. Uh, the company name and and their department of transportation number, um, but I, I couldn't get him to stop. And I was rolling my window down, and he, you know, just looked at me like I was crazy. And uh, but I was able to go to you, and you were able to track down his insurance company, um, which I wouldn't have known what to do. And so I'm I'm still working that process. There wasn't very much damage done, other than my license plate's been in half, and but. Uh, I'm dragging my feet on it, trying to get some other stuff done, <laughs> but, but yeah. So, well, Hey, um, this has been great. Where can everybody find you? So I'm really pretty easy to find. Um, our agency website is prime insurance, kc.com. Uh, so just spelled out prime insurance and then the letters K and C. Um, phone number is 816-479-0595. And then my email is ryan at piakc.com. Awesome. Are you on uh, Facebook, Instagram, the Twitter? Yep. Yeah, we. I'm in kind of all those places, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Okay. Got to do some tweeting. All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll put all that the links to that in the show notes. So awesome. Well, hey, I appreciate it. You guys take care and uh, talk to you soon. Hey, thanks for having me, Kyle. Hey, you made it. Way to go. Thanks for listening to Personal Finance from the Hilltop. I hope you enjoyed the show today. You might have noticed something was missing. We didn't cover homeowner's insurance. Well, at least not in this episode. Things ran a little long and we decided to dedicate a full episode to homeowner's insurance with a touch of renters. Christmas is coming early next week, so be on the lookout for the next episode. It's my gift to you. No returns, but feel free to re-gift it. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to 2021. I have some ideas for future episodes of the show that I'm stoked about. Can I still say stoked? Is that still cool to say? I don't know. Whatever. Either way. 
Also, I have some rock star guests that I'm trying to get to make an appearance on the show. We'll see if I can get the deal done. But either way, we'll continue to bring you this podcast jam-packed with information you want to know about personal finance so you can equip yourself to make the best decisions for your situation. Now, if you'd like more information about me or Hilltop Financial Planning, you can visit hilltopfp.com, no dash. For links and resources mentioned in the podcast, be sure to check out the show notes, um, which also includes uh, our little fun facts. Also, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you get all the new episodes when they drop. And they're coming sooner rather than later. Christmas is coming early this year. That's a little teaser. Now, if you want to leave any five-star reviews, that's highly encouraged and greatly appreciated. Not sure exactly what that does for me, but hey, stars are good, right? You can find personal finance from the Hilltop on most of your major podcasting outlets, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and we still need to get on Stitcher. Never done Stitcher, so we'll we'll have to get on there, but you can also uh, find us on the website as well, episodes. At Hilltop, we continue to bring on new clients, so if you or someone you know are interested in discussing how we can help you find financial freedom, go to our website and click on Schedule a Call in the upper right-hand corner. We offer a free 30-minute introductory call. There's no sales pitch. It's just a conversation about you and what you're looking for and how I can help. Now, lastly, the dreadful, scary disclaimer that my attorneys on retainer want me to mention Okay, let's be honest. I don't have attorneys on retainer. I don't even have attorneys. Bill Richmond is not on my payroll. This is what I was advised by my compliance group to disclose, and that is everything on this podcast is my opinion or my guest's opinion. It is not meant to be taken as investment advice because I'm not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as a fiduciary. This podcast is for educational purposes only. Hilltop Financial Planning LLC is a state-registered investment advisor in the state of Missouri, but serves clients nationwide where exempt from registration. Another episode of Personal Finance from the Hilltop in the books. Signing off from the Hilltop, I'm Kyle Hill. Mm -hmm.